0: All right, so Nikita, what is behind
1: your curtain this week? You're listening to The Sociable Scribes, two professional writers who work hard, play hard, and love to have fun on the job. Word stylist Nikita Rao stevens and publishing consultant Kim Ely talk about the topics and questions they hear most often from their clients. Let's talk about writing, the good, the bad, and the awesome, while addressing popular questions and concerns from real writers like you. If you're a writer, someone who aspires to write, or just wants to learn more about writing and publishing, and have a lot of fun along the way, welcome to the tribe. Here are your hosts, Nikita and Kim, two writers who love to socialize, the sociable scribes.
0: All right, so Nikita,
2: what is behind your curtain this week? Oh my God, so I am totally fangirling it right now, because... I, I'm not going to reveal too much, but we have like the, one of the most amazing writers that I absolutely love that agreed to talk to us, Miss Sky Warren. So I am just so excited about talking to her.
0: Oh my gosh, I am so super excited. So yeah, I, I'm totally like, like you turned me on to her works, and I'm like, holy schmoly. And I just can't wait to delve in. I know. So I know. behind our curtain is Fangirl. So yes. let's get started.
2: All right. All right. So, Kim, I am super, super excited about our guest today. Um, Me too. She's one of my favorite people. And I'm excited Yay. to get a chance to, to talk to her. Her name is Miss Sky Warren. And just to give you a little bit of background on Sky, Sky Warren is a New York Times bestselling author of Dangerous Romance. Love it. Her books have sold over 1 million copies. She makes her home in Texas with her loving family, sweet dogs, and evil cat. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to learn more about this cat. So welcome to the podcast, Guy.
3: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here.
2: We're so glad to have you.
3: I love podcasts lately. I've been kind of obsessed with them so when you when I got your email inviting me um to be on this one, I was excited.
2: yay, yay, well, we're glad to have you on board. so we're gonna jump right in because we want to know all about you. so <laughs> when did you start writing?
3: So I would say it was maybe two thousand ten wasn't that long before I actually started publishing, and part of the reason for that is that. Prior to that, I had always loved to read, and I read all the time, um, I read a lot of historical fiction, I read sort of general women's fiction, and for some reason, I just, you know, and they're not, it wasn't at the forefront of my bookstore where I went, and I did not know that romance existed as a genre, huh. And so when I discovered it, that was about, it was 2010, and that, you know, as soon as I read it and realized that it was a whole genre and there was all these books written in it, I realized that that's where I was meant to be, that's where all the books I wanted to read were, have been hiding, um, <laughs> and that was, you know, it was sort of then that I knew that's what I wanted to write. Awesome. Um, so yeah,
2: lovely. that's when you
3: started uh, writing novels. Wow.
2: So before 2010, you never, you just read, never wrote before that point? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. That it's amazing. Wow.
3: Um, so my background is actually in computer science.
1: Which oh. Is,
3: yeah. It's a little bit different. I mean, it's it's definitely different. It's sort of a left brain right brain thing. But to yeah. me, computer science was was always very a creative endeavor. And so I sort of. You know, I like to think of it like I used to write code and now I write books. So, yeah. no, they're wow. not that different to me personally, but I understand how they are sort of perceived differently.
2: Oh, yeah, wow. most definitely. Well, you and Kim have that in common, actually, which yeah, is interesting.
0: That is interesting. Wow. So, yeah, but I way prefer writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so,
2: <much fun. laughs>
0: so, your genre is dark romance, is that correct? Right, right.
3: So when I started writing in and then uh, publishing in, in late 2011, I really thought that my more lighter mainstream books, which were closer to what was being published out there, mm-hmm. um, was what would sell. Whereas the darker books that I wrote were really just for me. Mm-hmm. And I thought they sort of just came out. Yeah. On their own. And I thought, you know, these are too weird and too dark, and, and no one's going to want them. But, I, you know, I was like, well, maybe if only one or two people are like me and they're looking for it, like this doesn't have to bring in any money for me. This is just out there in the world so that people like me who are actively looking for this kind of content can find it. Yeah. And, well, what do you know? So my dark content took off, did wow. way better. And so I think to me that's just a lesson in you know write what you love write what you're passionate about because you know even though I did love the other books I was writing like mm-hmm. yes they did not have like my heart and soul my like, total passion the way that that what I you know my darker content did and so it was really reader led so with my other name my other pen name that was lighter I would go out there and do all this marketing I would try to you know get people hyped up for my books whereas under Sky Warren, everything was very reader led. So like the only I got the only thing I created when I first uploaded my first book was a Gmail account. Like uh-huh. a, an email. And then readers would message me and say, you know, you should have a newsletter because I wanna be <laughs> on it. And they'd say you should have a Facebook page because I wanna follow you there. Wow. Um, so it was really readers speaking to me and telling me, This is what we want, you know.
0: That's amazing. That is so cool. That's really cool. That's awesome. So I have a question for you. And you had mentioned about you hadn't known about romance before. um, Not romance. Romantic books. (laughs) Romance books. books. Um, (laughs) Can you describe for our uh, listeners what dark romance is?
3: So dark romance, when I started writing it, Actually, the word, the term, dark romance wasn't really around. It was actually more, if anything, it would be called dark
0: erotica. Oh, and gotcha. It sort
3: of, um, books that had books that had taboo elements, or dubious consent, or suspense with like an antihero. Yeah. Um, and so those kind of books. So the funny thing is, I just, when I did discover romance it was through historical romance uh-huh. and so you can actually find those kind of books in historical romance just shelved right alongside books that are relatively sweet in historical romance mm-hmm. and so to me they weren't different like it was all a fictional world and um you know i was able to enjoy the story in the same way but when i tried to write the same thing in contemporary it's a huge deal it's <laughs> gotcha. uh, that is what i even call my, my books i've been used the word Dark romance I call just because the word dark has become so loaded and everyone has a different viewpoint, but Uh. I call my books dangerous romance. the first time I actually thought about it was someone had, you know, because dark romance can be a little bit controversial, mm. some people will say that, like, it should not even be allowed to exist and that kind of things. and so there was an article and someone had said that my books were dangerous for women, mm. which I found to be mm. pretty insulting because women are grown-ups who can, you know, read books that are fiction and decide for themselves. Exactly. Um, but I sort of sat with the term for a while and I sort of, I decided that I liked it. I liked the word dangerous and Erased yeah, yeah. it. And so, um, and now I just call my books dangerous. <laughs> I like that. I like
2: that. And as someone who's read a lot of your books, um, <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very fitting. Yeah. I think. Um, very cool.
0: That's awesome.
2: <laughs> so this is a question I've been dying to ask you for a while because, because I've read so many of your books. It's, you are you have so much finesse at how you master building a community it it's it's something that that obviously as a reader you pick up on it's like i'll be i'll read like you know book five and i'll be out of your series in another book like oh my god that happened back here in this book um i'm like (laughs) how does she do that Uh, (laughs) i would love for you to could you share kind of what is your process in like that whole world building it's pretty amazing
3: Right. So the first, um, so I definitely have always loved sort of setting as character. So, you know, there's usually been a sort of place that, and the place has its own personality that interacts with the characters over yep. the course of a book. And then in early 2015, I was writing a series called The Strip Series. Like and in that. the prequel novella, they're actually not entangled, but they go on the run. And then in book one, they're in Tanglewood, and that's where they've run to. Mm-hmm. And, and it was funny because when I was writing that book, I did know that the other books in that specific series would be set there, because, in particular, because it's centered around the strip club, which is why it was called the strip series. Um, and that was set in Tanglewood. Um, but then when I moved on and wrote The Pond, The Night, and the Castle, mm-hmm. um, and then since then, all of my books were set in Tanglewood, even if they had a different set of characters, mm-hmm. um, a diff- even some different had a different tone, like an mm-hmm. like escort with a standalone that had a, a much different tone than the King and the Queen. And I think it's just really fun to be able to expand on what is already built. Yeah. Um, Rather than necessarily coming up with it fresh, and everything has is imbued with so much more meaning, you know. And yeah. it's kind of like if you've read my books, then you know that extra meaning. Maybe if you're completely new to my books, you miss some of that meaning, but it's fine because the book it's, can stand on its own.
0: Yeah.
3: And then even when I wanted to start something completely new, which was Overture, and so that is that was the first book that I really wrote in a while that was not set in Tanglewood. Mm-hmm. Um. And then in concerto, which is book two, she goes on tour, like a um, musical tour, because um, she's a professional violinist. Mm-hmm. And one of the cities that they stop in, actually, the city they debut the tour, is Tanglewood. Um, so it's yeah, so yeah. fun to be able to, <coughs> for That's me, to cool. able to revisit the characters and see, you know, maybe where they've you know, gone in life since they got their happy ending. So yes, I love it. And it's, it's been a while. And so, so it's like, I sort of left it. I departed with Overture, but I, I also visited. That. Came back
2: to it. Now, are you organically able to keep track of how all these pieces tie together? Because it To me, as I'm reading and being a writer as well, it, it feels like there's a web and you've got all these little pieces that are connecting. And I'm like, like, how are, how do you keep up with it?
3: So to me, I think of it like, there's definitely some characters that sort of stay with me a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Some who don't, and who don't appear as often. Um, But in terms of the web, I really see the web as the places. Okay. Which... If you haven't read, like, for example, the Grand um, Mm -hmm. is a place that used to be a historical theater. It got sort of run down, and then it was converted into a strip club, and then it was recently converted back into a theater. And so it sort of evolves, and, you know, even in Concerto, they discuss it like, a character and to me it is a character that's evolving Mm. and the den similarly the den was sort of an underground men's club created by damon scott and it was created in sort of his darkest days when he was more of a criminal and more sort of fighting his father's criminal empire and now that he has found his happy ending it's morphed into more of a meeting space. Like I almost think of it like those like Renaissance salons. Um <laughs> but a little bit darker than that. But you know. yeah. And so yes, they evolve just like characters do. And so to me that's kind of how I think of the Open Web is is really the places that have meaning.
2: That's very cool. That is
0: very cool. That's a cool. great way of looking at it. Yeah, I love the location as a character. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So I've heard of uh, rapid release is a good way to, you know, kind of build your audience. Can you describe to our audience what rapid release is?
3: So, um, it probably means something slightly different to different people. Mm-hmm. I will say that I publish, I am at a place right now where I publish about four books a year, and those books are around 50K, which is like category length if you're used to sort of traditional books. Yeah. So this is a comfortable publishing space for me. And that is faster than some people and slower than some other people. I think that... For me to really qualify something as rapid release, I feel like every month or every other month would be more. What yeah. uh, gotcha. to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you can you can get some of that impact with having events every month and every other month, things that aren't releases. Mm-hmm. So by events, an, an easy one would be a sale, but also things like box sets or an audio book release gotcha. um, and just keeping interest going that way. So I, you know... I say I have, like, at least one, but usually two events every month. Okay. But even with, though I only have four releases for the year.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, the pace, because you, you're pretty established at this point in your career. As a new author getting started out, were you publishing at a more rapid pace than you are now?
3: Um, I would say my most... Productive year. I think I had five books around the same length of, of what I'm doing now, but then also like two novellas. Okay. So it's a little bit more, not a huge amount more, but it definitely it felt like a lot more. I think that this is much more my natural writing speed. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I make sense. Yeah, and so I, don't, I I feel like this is a really good space, even in terms of marketing, just because it's easy to burn out and I see authors do it. Yeah. They want, you know, hit it really mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. and are publishing really fast and then there's going to be like a long break because they get sort of caught up, right? And there's also this like learning curve at the beginning where you're sort of getting your feet, figuring out what readers like, what that you're doing and you're sort of, you know, your craft, even if you've been writing before you publish, you, it then evolves once you start actually getting in front of those readers. And so, yeah, I mean, I it's not, you know, if someone naturally writes fast, then I'm like, that's great. I am completely <laughs> supportive of that, but I really just never encourage anyone to write fast. Yeah. Um, because I think that it can just backfire so easily right. and a nice slow and steady is, is really where, where it's at.
2: Well, that's, that's, I know I can take that to heart yeah. because just a, a little bit, little bit about me in that I decided to start writing a couple months ago. I've been doing content marketing for what, five years, mm-hmm. five years. Um, but I've all writing, writing fiction is always, it's been something I've kind of shelved and said, I'm going to, I'm going to get to it eventually. I'm going to build my content marketing business because that's going to generate more income. And I, I caught up with a friend of mine who I think you might know Lisa Vino. Do you know me? Yeah. 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 She's a, she's a good friend of mine. And um, we used to write together before she actually started publishing books. And she's like, Nikita, just write, just do it. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I just made that commitment to get started, but I've been hearing a lot about the rapid release and I'm sure a lot of new authors hear that as well. So I made the, I made a conscious decision to start batching work so I wrote a novella last month I uh, well no I wrote a full-length book Mm -hmm. last month and a novella the month before and I'm working on a series and I'm trying to figure out what that pace I am a naturally fast writer but I don't want to burn out either so it's good to hear your perspective Mm -hmm. on that because I want to have balance and I'm sure Mm -hmm. most writers do
3: Right, right. And, you know, and so I do know some authors who have just always been really fast and they're friends of mine and they continue to be fast and it's a little bit harder for them to carve out time um, to do marketing. And so what ends up mm-hmm. happening for someone who truly is naturally fast, like coming coming out with a book a month or sometimes more than one book a month, mm-hmm. these, are, these tend to be a little bit shorter, they're like more novellas, mm-hmm. is that what happens is a lot of them will do great and then a lot of them will sink. And that's okay because they're putting out enough content that they can afford the ones that sync for the ones that do really well. Whereas, you know, I feel like my strategy is, first of all, this is where I'm comfortable in terms of writing speed. So I'm already here. I don't necessarily want to push myself to write faster, but I can do a little bit of work outside of that to make sure that every book reaches a certain threshold. Yeah. you know, if I'm only have four books a year, then one book sinking is going to be a relatively a big deal yeah. um, or two books sinking. But, but, you know, that's why the, the things that I do around marketing, which like rebranding and Facebook ads and those kind of things help to keep like a nice steady income, sure. steady growth. Absolutely. You know?
2: That's great advice. That
0: is. That's awesome. What else do we
2: have for her, Kim?
0: Let's see. So what made you decide to go indie instead of pursuing traditional publishing?
3: Well, in a way, I actually did pursue traditional publishing when I was originally, I think of it like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, so (laughs) I split my books into two pen Uh And so my, my sweeter, it was still sexy romance, but it was more Uh, I guess, conventional, more what you find on the shelves already, Um, and I, and so those actually were with publishers, and um, they just, and really, I kept doing both, you know, doing both names for, and whereas I self-published the darker stuff, because I knew right off the bat that, you know, publishers were not going to be interested in that, um, and that was fine, so I really kept up both names for a couple years, even though I was splitting my time, so I was really spending almost double the amount of time to grow, you know, two names, yeah. even though all of my income was coming from my Sky name, and my other name was just making like 10% of that, despite uh, all of the work wow. and the actual books I put into it. So having that experience, yes, you know, it was when I finally walked away from that pen name. I was definitely also walking away from traditional publishing, you know, just because it, whether it was the lighter type books or whether it was the, the way that they were published in the end you know readers were speaking to me they were speaking to me loudly and over the course of years it just took me that long to sort of <laughs> listen. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> basically that is the case um, but I you know I still I still sort of have like the, the romantic vision of what traditional publishing could be mm-hmm. I just think that it's it's a rare case that, that, that it actually works out that way
2: gotcha
0: gotcha can you tell us a little bit more about that because i know um we talk a lot about self-publishing versus traditional publishing
3: okay well so the funny thing is a lot of people who are self-publishing and who enjoy it will say i like having control right. that's what like a common reason of why you would self-publish but the thing is i don't like having control <laughs> i would be happy to give up control uh-huh. it's just that they have to be do it as well as I would do it.
1: <laughs> gotcha! <laughs> oh, I
2: like that! Yeah. That's, That's awesome. awesome. I know what I can make from a book, and I know
3: about what traditional publishers are offering in terms of advance and what they're selling and what their royalties are like, just friends. Right. So at this point... I would be losing money to give them a book, which doesn't mean I would never do it. Right. You know, if I if I thought it was like the right move for a certain book to like maybe be able to get into airports or something, or if I if I just wanted to expand my readership that way, or for whatever reason if I wanted to do it. But I am always about using data and just being honest, like even with myself, about what I'm expecting. And so I have to know, like I'm willing to take, you know, how much I want to do this because there's still a part of me that wants to right. work with a traditional publisher. You know, are you willing to take like a fifty percent pay cut for this book? And then I think about it, like, and I'm like, no, not right now. Maybe <laughs> another time. great. <Yeah. laughs>
2: right. That makes
3: sense.
0: Yeah, but not yeah. right now.
3: No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just. In a little, in a way, publishers, you know, like those authors that I know that I'm friends with, who put out maybe two novellas a month, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, they can afford for some things to sink and some things to swim, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're putting out n- enough content. Well, publishers are basically like that. They only need a few hits to sort of float everything else, uh. for them to stay in business and turn a profit. Mm-hmm. But the people who are have the sinking books, they still, they don't get like, they don't stay in business. They still get the tiny royalties from a, from a sink, you know, sinking book. Right. So, so I think it is a rare situation where an author really gets like, a developmental editor who's really going to pay attention to their story and give it sort of the weight that it deserves and, and really help you to improve it. And and I think it's rare to sort of get the marketing backing from, from the traditional publishers versus them just like agreeing to publish your book. That's not really necessarily worth a lot when those services are available so easily elsewhere. So so there are definitely things that the traditional publisher offers oh that's
0: okay they want to be involved
3: (laughs) many dogs I have five dogs oh wow yeah so uh it's there's always barking at my house (laughs) that's
2: okay we're animal lovers so what kind of dogs do you have so you have to tell us now because they've already made themselves known that's right
3: so they're all rescues, um, and the little one who probably was just the loudest, she's actually the newest to our household, and she's this Dachshund Beagle. And,
1: and
3: she's just the best cuddler you've ever seen in your Aww. life, because I have dogs, and they like to cuddle and be pet, but then eventually they'll go off and sit on their own, Yeah, so this girl can cuddle, like, literally all night and all Aww. day, all
1: night that's you know, awesome
3: she prefers to be under the blanket oh. and, well that's all she wants out of life is just to be warm and
2: cuddly so, oh so cute yeah. wow that's wow. awesome i used to i, I had a sheet too i used to try to tuck ladybug in well i, I would oh, did wait you? well i waited till she went to sleep because she did not cuddle she's very <laughs> cuddly but she did not i tried to cuddle her and she'd be like oh, no <laughs> so when she would go to sleep i would put a blanket
0: oh. i like i'm gonna tuck that's
2: like a oh, baby. <laughs> so
0: I'm it. <waiting.
2: laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. That's fun. What I have a quick question that's kind of like, well, somewhat of a spin-off of this is I know there's a there, there's a bit of a trend in doing like ebooks versus doing ebooks and print or doing print. What is your take on that? I'm assuming ebooks is just an easier way to get things to market faster, but what do you think of that?
3: Well, I think that ebooks have really changed the landscape of reading. And so, you know, I think that most people, particularly with self published, but even with traditional publishing, are reading on ebook. Yeah. And print has become more for people who are maybe older and still prefer to read in print, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, But I think we're going to see, you know, those people will get a little bit older and then this new generation will be even more into ebooks. Yeah. And the other thing that print is really great for right now is for super fans. So it's a great way for someone who reads the ebook first mm-hmm. and then decides that they love my books and they want to order them in print and have them on their shelf and sometimes they'll take pictures and
1: post them uh. on Instagram.
3: And so it's a great way of like showing fandom. Like the same way someone who loves Game of Thrones might have like a bumper sticker. Yeah. Um, that's so, so that's cool. almost what the, the I feel like print books have have become, and, and in like a totally positive way, is you know is a way to celebrate books and authors that people love
1: yeah, um, versus the cool.
3: primary way that people read.
2: Well, Kim has already declared me a Skywarn super fan. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> because um, I I think the only book that she's written that I have not is is Concerto, which is the newest one. I, I think. I have read all of your books, so, oh. <laughs> um, but I just attribute that to you just being that good. So, <laughs> you are, uh, it, it's, it's true, yeah. and I mean, I think, and, and, and as, as writers, we read differently than readers do, not say, I mean, yeah, we're, we're I guess we say we're a little bit more of a critical reader, because we yeah, look, so. we look into things like plot and character And it's funny, I'm going to tell you a quick funny story before we go on is that how I found you. So I always, I've always been a big reader, but I probably since I started my business five years ago. I stopped reading for pleasure as much. And so everything I was reading was business and self-help and things. And that was fine. But I just said, you know what? I want (laughs) to read something fun. And so I just did, I went on Amazon and I did a search and I was like, I want to read, I want an author that's an indie author. I want to support someone who is not, you know, huge, like, you know, mainstream traditional publisher. And I found you and I read the pawn. And, it's like you hooked me um, <laughs> because I couldn't stop from there. My I would be like up at like three o'clock in the morning. So oh, re- oh, wow. yeah. my husband would be like, oh my God, cut the light off. <laughs> Why are you still reading? <laughs> like it's so good. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I I, guess I am awesome. officially a super fan, but what was interesting, an interesting thing that happened for me, which I have to give you some credit for this guy is as I started reading more of your books, that process is part of what sparked the writer in me to say, "Why are you waiting to write your own stuff?" And it's like, "This is so awesome! Could I do this? I think I can do this. No, I'm not that good." I, like I went through so many different, you know, phases, and then I, then I talked to Lee, and yeah. Lee's like, "You can do this. Do it. I know you. I know you're you're a great writer. <laughs> Just write." And so she pushed me over the edge. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, that you like my books and that they have that impact on you. I mean, I definitely feel that there are some authors that I know that I can always read and get like re-inspired about my writing too. So, so that's great. Yeah. Yay. Yes. I love your books. Love that's your books. That's awesome. Yes.
0: So I wanted to ask you a question about something you had mentioned earlier, and that was about that you do a couple of marketing events per month. Is that correct? Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of events you do?
3: So I do a decent amount of rebranding. One of the earlier series that I wrote was the beauty series mm-hmm. and beauty touch the beast was originally this short story that I wrote and I put it out and people, and I, I sort of considered it done. Um, they have, overcome a certain thing even within a short story yeah and, you know I was like it's a great way for people to just try out my writing and whatever yeah and then fans kept sort of coming back and saying like we really want you to write about this we really uh... we really want you to keep writing about them so I I resisted for a while because that seems to be an MO with me I tend to <laughs> resist Maybe something I resist for a while um and then and then I don't and so then I Gave them a series of novellas, and that was fine. That was, um, I'm not sure exactly when those were published, maybe 2013. Mm-hmm. You know, when novellas were more common, and it also just suited the way that I was writing them for readers. Yeah. But fast forward to now, it was sort of awkward for me to continue advertising. This series of novellas where the first one's a short story. It just didn't fit with how things are publishing right now. Mm-hmm. People didn't understand what to expect. So I just rebranded them. I put the first bit together in, mm-hmm. into like a 50K novel and then the second, the last bit into a 50K novel. And it t- took a little bit of revising to get it, you know, so that it fit into this new format. Right. Um, so now it's a duet. And then I re-released those as Beauty and the Professor and oh, as Calling um, okay. uh, for the Beast. Um awesome. so, you know, and, and so those were events that you know, marketing events that took place over a span of maybe at least a full month. Um, mm-hmm. and then I also put an audiobook for the first time because they hadn't been in audio before. Awesome.
1: Um,
3: and that was another thing that didn't really make sense as novellas. So so yeah, so that's like an example of something that I've done this year that's not like writing a new book, but it's, it's something that's a way to reinvigorate
0: that yeah. list. Oh, I love that. Thank that's you really for cool. sharing. That's yeah, very
2: cool. That's very cool. <laughs> so what do you enjoy the most about being an indie author? Cause you've been, you've pretty much told us you've done both sides. So, I mean, what do you enjoy about it? What's your favorite uh, part?
3: I definitely, I would say I do enjoy, when I said I don't enjoy the control on the business side, I actually enjoy it a little bit, but I would be willing to give it up, that would be fine, but <laughs> I enjoy the creative control, uh-huh. I definitely don't have to check with anyone, like if I come up with a series idea, if you're working with a traditional publisher, you either need to get their approval before you start, or you have to write the whole thing and then sell it, you know, uh, shop it around, right. um, at some point you're getting approval, right, which which just makes sense, yeah. um, and uh, whereas, I am self-published. I don't uh, need to get anyone's approval but my own. Um, even last year, I wrote a duet, Survival of the Richest and the Evolution of Man.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And just honestly, writing, that, writing those books just about killed me. They got into like a really personal space that I had managed oh, to avoid, gotcha. um, which is about the death of her mother. And so writing the second book, writing the first book was still like an ordinary writing experience. But at the end of the book her mother had cancer and yeah. the resolution of the book was that she had to come to terms with the idea that her mom would not be continuing treatment, Yeah, which means that the second book in the duet had to be all about that, right, right. and all about her mother's decline, and it was very hard for me to read. It was the first time I'd ever had an Amazon pre-order up that I had to push back, yeah. and it really it really messed me up. I even took the rest of the year off of writing. And then wow. when I finally forced myself to come back to writing, I was supposed it was a love triangle, so I was supposed to be writing the spinoff of the guy who lost the love triangle. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't at all about her mom dying anymore, right. but it was, it just felt so painful every time I would sit down to write in that world and like those characters. Yeah. And so I had, I changed my mind. I said, I'm going to write something completely different. And that's why I wrote Overture. And it wasn't even set in the same city. It wasn't set with any of the same characters. Right. Um, and I could make those kind of decisions, you know, completely on my own yeah. um, without having to get anyone's approval or potentially like renege on a contract or pay back in advance or anything like that. Right. So. So yes, that's something that I enjoy, creative control. I do enjoy like the financial security that this has given my family. So the funny thing is when I was in computer science, one of the reasons I even went into it, I also enjoyed it, but my computer science teacher was like, you know, this is a great profession for women because you can have more flexible hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, okay, you know, that sounds good. What I found though is that you can get that job, but you're stuck with kind of the work that no one else wanted to do because they have enough people who are willing to go to the office and actually, you know, be part of the team
0: and (laughs) and
3: improve that culture. So while you can have that job, um, you know, it sort of pays a little bit worse and you don't get the, you know, the work that you were maybe accustomed to. And and at the end of the day, they kind of feel like your employer kind of feels like they're doing you a huge favor. Whereas working (laughs) like this, um, I work from home. Mm -hmm. I you know set my own hours i am able to support my family even you know i, I actually definitely make more than i made as a programmer awesome um, which isn't something i even thought would necessarily be the case when i started writing i was just hoping to match it um, but it ended up working out that way um That's awesome so you know I, it was it was important to me to be able to see my son before he goes to school and when he gets you know home from school yeah this was really kind of the only job that where I could do that and still make like a really full-time income comparable to what I was doing before. Yeah. Uh, you know, and even on times like when I take a step back, like last you know, at the end of last year, like I did not write for three months and, you know, still continue to earn. Um, so I think that, you know, I think this is very, a very supportive lifestyle of someone who's in my position of being like a working mother. Right. Absolutely.
0: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. very encouraging. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we take turns. <laughs> so your plot lines are fascinated. And so I wanted to ask you kind of a two-part question. One is where do you get your ideas? And the other is do you have any plot lines you've considered but then rejected?
3: Okay, so I feel like – okay, I feel like I have – Too many ideas, which I think is a lot of us. Yes. So, so a lot of the books that I've been writing are books that I've been wanting to write for such a long time, like Escort, which is about male escort and virgin. Like that's been on my mental list of things to write, you know. And then I finally was like, now is the time. I I finally feel ready, you know. And I know that I brought to it a perspective that I couldn't have if I had written it years ago. Hmm. The same with Overture. It's a modern day Guardian Ward which is a trope that you see more frequently in historical romance. And I knew that I wanted to write one of those pretty much right away. Like as soon as I read one, it was like, this, this, this is perfect. I need this a story like this. Um, and then I waited until, you know, early this year. So I feel like, When I started writing, I used to actually jot down ideas all the time. I would have notebooks or sometimes scraps of paper. And then at some point I stopped doing that because I realized that if it's an idea that I really want to write, it's it's not going to leave me alone. I don't need to try to remember it. In fact, Mm -hmm. it will hound me (laughs) until I finally give in and write it. So so let's see. In terms of storylines, I probably, if there's any one place that I would say I get my story ideas from it is well I would say two places one is if I'm ever watching like let's say a Disney movie or just any movie there's a villain that I kind of like I tend to think about what his story is and if I make him the hero yeah um, my books so that would that's kind of one area place where (laughs) I'll get ideas and the other area is just historical romance which I love to read and and so even with like the pawn I will I've described it as I was writing it. I was I was like, this is a historical romance written in modern times.
2: Huh. Yeah. I, I, that's probably one of my favorite plots that you have. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, look what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's very easy to hook. I mean, that guy, yeah. I, I hooked you one. Oh, I
0: read one. that one, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, it, it's, it's really <laughs> um, So, I, you know, I
3: don't know if there's really a plot line that I wouldn't Right, you know that I necessarily rejected, yeah. but there's a lot that sort of go through my head and then I, I just toss them aside. But I know that if they come back, they'll eventually get me.
0: Ah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, so it goes back in the pool and then you might fish it out
2: another time. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have another. I have another question yeah, that's, off our, that's off our list. You can totally go off our list. <laughs> um, so tell us what is a day in the life of Skywarn.
3: Okay, so I have to do a confession now. So the confession is <laughs> um, that for a few years ago, I actually went from being an average person who worked, you know, eight to 10 hours a day um, around, you know, necessarily around my son coming home from school. Sometimes I would, you know, work during the day and then and then again, a little bit at night. And then at some point I started sleeping like 18 hours a day. Wow. I you went know, with the doctors, they sort of couldn't figure it uh. out. It took, you know, it turns out that what happens when doctors can't figure something out is they just send you away with nothing.
2: yeah I know that
3: feeling. And so it took like literally years of going to different doctors of like different specialties to see if maybe it has to do with your specialty. Maybe it has to do with your specialty. Yeah. Um, until I finally found a neurologist who it didn't even necessarily have to do with her specialty. She just was willing to work with me cool. and bring me back. And so it turns out I had a pretty severe uh, vitamin deficiency as well as treatment-resistant depression. Mm. And so I... Now it's been several years since that, and I'm doing much better, yeah um, but the side effect is that I still sleep way more than the average person and can sit upright less than the average person so mm, okay i a typical day for me, I wake up between ten and noon, mm-hmm. okay, and I will go have a shake or something and, you know, a protein shake, and I will hang out with the dog, <laughs> and I will shower, and I will sometimes go sit outside for a while, and then I will sit down, and I really only work for two to four hours a day, and that is either, I find it very hard to context switch between marketing and writing, mm. because one is so external and one is so internal. Central. So... Even though marketing I still find to be a creative activity, but it's a very externally creative activity. Yeah. I'm creating and it's presented immediately and I get feedback and that, excuse me, writing is very different. Writing is, you know, being alone with myself for long periods of time and before anyone ever sees the work and you know, and really forming my idea of what this book should be first. So, um, so yes, I'll work for two to four hours, sort of depending on what I have going on. I do take a decent amount of breaks and spend time with my puppies and <laughs> um, go for <from laughs> walks awesome. and and then around the time that my husband and uh, will get home from work is when you know I'll go and do the family dinner okay. type of thing and then at night I don't usually uh, work unless I'm on a writing deadline because I do write really well at night but I don't write everything gotcha. um, and I, I read a lot actually I do a lot of okay. rereading. books that I love and I'll read, I'll, I I could probably just reread books that I love forever and be content, but I would force (laughs) myself to read new books so that I get that creativity jumpstart, you know? Yeah. And and so, yeah, that's pretty much my day.
1: (laughs) I think that's pretty cool. I feel like a little bit of a confession because
3: I, even though I, I sort of encourage authors that you don't need to work yourself to the bone, I feel like it's a little bit implied that we should, and so... I have to sort of confess that I
2: in fact don't. But <laughs> no, you know it's funny. So I, my um, my um, business coach is pretty much you know Erin, yeah. the exact opposite of me, and she's very, very organized, very analytical. And I told her, I said, I feel guilty because I'm not working at like midnight. And she's like, Why should you be working till midnight? If you're working till midnight, something's wrong with your like your calendar. You're not managing your calendar right. I was like oh thank you Jesus because <laughs> <laughs> when you hang around so many right. a lot of other entrepreneurs right. other entrepreneurs are always talking about burning midnight oil I right. I was working at one o'clock in the morning and so it makes you it guilt you into thinking right. oh and I think writers have that there's this thought process and people have told me this Mm -hmm. actually Heather mentioned this to me once that Nikita I just thought you sat in the room and you wrote all day I said oh heck no I don't have the attention span to sit down and write all day I'm like squirrel I I cannot (laughs) sit for long periods of time I write in like one hour spurts Mm -hmm. so it's great to hear from you that you don't write eight hours a day people need to hear that
3: yeah and that's kind of why I'm I'm try to be upfront about what I do and and even I'll talk um, money with people just because I think that we oftentimes don't and so there's like this big question mark of what new authors even feel like they can expect like I I remember when I was starting I didn't even know like does this have the power to eventually be a full-time thing like you know what I mean like it's just that level of of quiet, of, you know, about money, and so even though it is hard and most of us were raised not to talk about money, and myself included, Yeah. you know, I think that it's only, it's only helpful to sort of put those things out there and so that we realize that we don't have to kill ourselves, you know, working like crazy mm-hmm. hours and that it doesn't even necessarily lead to more money, mm-hmm. so yeah. Exactly.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being so uh, authentic and sharing about that because that, that means a lot
2: i have another us. spontaneous question spontaneous question are you a pantser or a potter <laughs> so, um, you know you want to know,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I'm, I identify more as a pantser. Yes! yes
2: we're, we're fellow panthers as
3: well <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's so, um, which is funny, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm friends with some people who are plotters, and it just feels, I think there's definitely a little bit of a crossover in the respect that I sort of have an idea of certain scenes, I know kind of how it's going to end, but I also let it get there, and if it changes, it Mm. changes, and, you know, And so I was talking with someone um, who was actually Pam Godwin, and I love her books. Cool. Um, And she's a plotter, and and she writes (laughs) books, like, with twists. And so, and and I've written some books with twists, and so Mm -hmm. she was like, how would you write a book with a twist if you're a cancer? Like, how are you even going to know what the twist is? And I was like, this really cool thing happens when you get to the end, and you sort of surprise, you you look back, and this twist surprises you. (laughs) Right. Wow. But then, when you actually start reading the book, the little hooks are there, as if you sort of knew all along, like it slaps into place. So, yes, I I mean, which is why I think, so I always say that writing a book is an act of faith, um, because it really always feels like, as I'm like writing page one, or even chapter eight, or whatever, that I'm like, how am I gonna get to the end? Is this really gonna be a (laughs) book at the end? And it it, it requires me to have faith, and just keep going despite that. and, and a little bit on that, like, not necessarily will it have a twist, but will it have, like, a nice, solid redemption plot, you know, like, as, as a pantser, it takes, I think, even a little bit more faith that it's it all going to come together for you. But, you, you know, and to a certain extent, that doesn't go away. Like, like I, I will tell my husband every time, like, I, don't, I don't think this book is worth, I don't think this is going to be a book, and my <laughs> husband will be like, every time, i
0: every
2: <laughs> time, I'm like, different. <laughs> like, oh that's too that, funny <laughs> that makes me well when I told you the book I was working on in last month I was like I don't know how I'm gonna end this and it like came to me at like four o'clock in the morning I woke up I was like I know how I'm gonna end this book but I was still sleepy so I'm like <laughs> remember it when you wake up <laughs> and I did <laughs> but I didn't know how I wanted to end it it just happens and it's hard it's hard to It's nice to meet other people that are pantsers because I honestly, it's not that plotters can't understand you, but they really can't understand the way, (laughs) because, because the way the ideas come to you are so organic and there's like, there's no rhyme or reason, but it happens just the way it's supposed to happen. So for someone who is a, like an extensive planner, they don't get, I mean, my, my brother, is like into like writing screenplays and he's so much of a plotter like he says he'll write himself into a hole and so because he'll be telling me all these great ideas and I'm like just write he's like I can't I need to plan it and so I, I think plotters understand plotters and pantsers understand pantsers. yeah so it's it's interesting yeah I just, I just think that's that's cool
0: most definitely. All right, what, so, you got? So I have to ask, um, you have five sweet dogs and one evil cat. <laughs> Explain the evil cat. And would you, since you gravitate towards what would a villain do, would you ever write a book about your evil cat? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, that's a good one. found my cat. My brother found this <laughs> litter of, like, three kittens. They were literally in the street. Their mom was gone, and so we, we took them into our house just, you know, briefly. We were like, all right, well, you know, until we we take them somewhere. But we definitely can't house three cats. Right. But, or three kittens, actually. And so they were in our house for just a few days. Mm-hmm. And so I got to know their personalities a little bit. And two of the cats were very, like, ordinary kids. Like, they were sweet, and they were mischievous, and they were adorable. And then one of the cats, there was definitely something just a little bit off about <laughs> <point. Like, laughs> I don't know if I can, I can swear on this, but she just did not give a shit about it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I remember my husband and I had a conversation, and we were like, no one else is going to keep this cat. Like, if they adopt this cat, they're uh, going to bring her back. Like, they're going to say something's wrong with I was like, we have to keep this cat. So. We gave the other two cats, you know, to the to the shelter, so because we were sure they were, you know, very young and they would find homes, but we were like, this cat would find a home too, but someone would maybe, you know, not be okay right. with her. So, right, yeah. so we kept her, and she really, the way that my husband describes her is basically she's really good as long as you imagine that she's a tiger. And <laughs> she's great. Like, she's a sweet, a sweeter-than-average tiger. But if you try to think of her like a cat... It's very disappointing. <laughs> I love it. I love that. That's great. It's so
0: good.
3: She would do in thing where I mean, really, not
1: every cat. Oh, sorry.
3: That's okay. She would do it. Not every cat can catch birds. Well, she can catch birds really well, Ooh. and she would bring them into our house. Oh still no! Alive. Oh. And they could not escape. Oh, so the number no. of times that we had to take an injured <laughs> bird in a shoebox, the Wild, the Life Center, is
1: high.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then go out and there's, like, a pile of feathers. Oh. Like, oh. Damn it. And, like, no. So, <laughs> yeah, that's why I say she's an evil cat. Um, gotcha. she's evil <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, my husband and I, we just, we just acknowledge her like a tiger. It's fine. For a while, she actually used to swat at us. Like, it's, she knew us completely. She would just swat at us like for fun. It <laughs> 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 sort of grew out of that, though. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if I would ever write like, <laughs> um, a book about her because you know what, readers are not that open to like dark.
2: little bit. So we've talked a lot about, you know, some of your advice for new writers getting started. But if you had anything that you'd want to say to a new writer that's just getting started, what would you encourage them?
3: I feel like some of my advice for new writers is opposite of what I hear given. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt, but this is kind of how I see it. A lot of people say build up your platform first and Mm -hmm. then start releasing. Yeah. But what I think is that you can build up a platform of a lot of people. Who don't necessarily want to read your book and that's not very helpful. And you don't really know who wants to read your book until you have a book out. Hmm. Um, so hmm. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on that. Once you have one book out or two books out, then yes, you can hit marketing hard. Yeah. But before then, it's all very hypothetical and it can feel disappointing if you put in a certain amount of work and then those people don't go buy your book and it feels like why why did I where did I go wrong? But in reality, I don't think that was ever going to work. And at the end of the day, I want people to buy my books because they want to read them and not because we've, like, developed or on Twitter or whatever, right? So, yeah. so I tell authors not to worry too much about um, new authors, to not worry about really building a platform before they publish anything. And I also say don't even worry too much about branding mm-hmm. because of my own experience of assuming that I knew what readers would want from me and I was wrong. So, you know, when we tell authors, well, pick a brand and stick with it and you've already decided to write Sex to Contemporary, so you can't write shifter romance. But the thing is until you've tried it, you don't know. That might be the thing that makes it huge. And readers will be Hmm. the ones to tell you that. So Oh, I love that. That's great. That's (laughs) That's really good
2: advice. So I guess the last thing is can you just tell our readers where they can find you so they can read all of your books and connect with you? Like
3: um, I did. <laughs> so if you go to um skywarren.com, okay. then you can see my books and try out the pawn or escort. Also, if you are an author yourself, you can go to skywarren.com slash authors and I have a an irregular newsletter that I send out every so often.
2: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we are just thrilled to have had you on today, yeah. Sky. Thank you so awesome. much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> and now it's time for Gregarious Goofballs. <laughs> time for Gregarious, Gregarious
2: goofballs. goofballs. So I have some fun ones, fun one to share. Awesome. I think, you know, I'm in the midst of writing a romantic comedy and I'm coming up with all these fun date blunders, but I realize a lot of them actually happened to me. <laughs> um, so in college we used to play this game called pennies. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. No. It's kind of like a truth or dare almost. Okay. So you sit in a room and you cut all the lights off so you can't see each other. Uh-huh. And you ask these like really personal questions and if you did it like uh-huh. you know um let me think of something kind of taboo. Mm-hmm. Like um <laughs> Have you ever hooked up more than one guy on the same night or something? <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds very hoish, ish, but you know <laughs> you know and you' are like, you throw the penny in right. Uh-huh. So so me and my girlfriend it was like summer school, summertime. Uh-huh. And we had invited these guys over and we uh-huh. all got together and we were in in our dorm room and we got on the floor, and we're like, let's play pin." And so we cut the lights off. <laughs> and someone said who here has had an STD? <gasps> and we heard <laughs> Oh no, oh no. My friend jumped up and oh. cut the lights on
0: so fast <laughs> and it would make
2: your hands like, who threw that in
1: there?
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. Needless to say, date night was over. <laughs> Guys went home. <laughs>
0: Oh, my goodness. So, the fun of college oh dating. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just love it. She's like, who was it? <laughs> the lights came
2: on so fast, I'm telling you. It was so funny.
0: Game over. Oh I don't know which one of y'all it was, but we're not going to find out. Go. <laughs> oh, All right, Kim. my word. That's too funny. <laughs> that is too funny. So, okay. So, my... <laughs> Oh, this, this was just a bad, this is a dating one as well. I had some really bad dates before I met my husband. I tell you what, so this was bad. So before there was, um, uh, CineBistro, there was a movie, um, theater place where you could eat and it was called, um, uh, Cinema and Draft House. Okay. Like back in the day. So I went on a date with a guy and we were going to go, um, see a movie together and of course since it's a place where you could order drinks and food so we we weren't thinking about it but the movie that we chose to to go to was the movie about the soccer team that crashes and then they end up having to resort to cannibalism um, so that they can survive romantic so here we are at the the cinema and draft house eating our chicken wings (laughs) people on the screen are eating each other I was like I'm good, thank you. <laughs> no oh. more for me. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, didn't put a lot of thought into that one. Would have been no. better to see a much better movie.
1: I know. So, <laughs> oh my god!
0: That's crazy. Oh my goodness! So awesome. So, all right, cool. <laughs>
2: oh my god how awesome was that interview with sky i'm so starstruck right now because i just love her she she is so amazing
0: and Um, so authentic and so down to earth i wasn't expecting that
2: Yes. Because she's such an amazing writer. She really is. She wow. Really is. I, for for you guys, I mean, I she dropped a lot of great nuggets for new writers out there today mm-hmm. and a lot of things that go against the grain of what we're used to hearing, which is yeah. which I think was very refreshing. I'll tell you from from my perspective, we don't have to go in like a straight line, but like what about her, her take on rapid release? Yeah. Um, how amazing was that? <coughs> because I can tell you new authors are often encouraged to do rapid release because it builds your platform. But she talked about that as well. Right. Building your platform. And I think the biggest advice I got from her in that whole scenario is do what works best for you. You know, yes. don't, don't feel peer pressured into having to trying to write 12 books a month if writing 12 books a month is not really your speed. And I think that will give a lot of writers out there kind of a free pass to be like, okay, I don't have to push myself beyond what I think my limits are. Most definitely. Um, So I really appreciated hearing that. She puts out, what, four books a month? Mm
1: -hmm. A year. A year, a year. year. Oh, God, four books a month. I was like, that's really rapid. Oh, my
2: God. (laughs) No, thank you. Um, Four books a year. Um, which is, I mean, I, I think that that is a pretty good pace still, if you think about it. It really is. Um, and she is wildly successful and mm-hmm. an amazing writer. So definitely,
0: that's a lot to
2: take away from that, I think, especially for the new writers out there.
0: Oh, most definitely. And, you know, I think this kind of goes along with what you're saying, but the one of the biggest takeaways I got from what she was saying was, listen to what the readers want. Yes. Because she had said that a couple of times that she was like, don't you know, fall in love with your branding or just have to stick to it because what she thought the readers wanted actually wasn't it at all. And I, I, you, I'm sure you noticed this too, but as we were talking to her, she said something about, well, and then my fans reached out and they wanted blah, blah, blah. Yes. That was very cool. I thought that was fascinating because obviously she has something, you know, that, that's, hooking the fans or that the fans are like, we want more of this. Yeah. How cool
2: is that? I think that's amazing. I loved hearing about what her day was like. Her day. Yeah. Um, I think that was very insightful as well because people have a misnomer when you, when they think, when they, when you tell someone you're a writer. Right. They think you stay locked in a room all day and write. And I mean, yeah. we're evidence of that. Yeah. <laughs> we, there's no way in the world the two of us can sit in the room all day and write. Um, So, you know, for some, I I think it's just been so refreshing to hear from a writer that is as accomplished as she is mm-hmm. that no, she doesn't write eight hours a day. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, maybe just two to four. Yeah. Two to four, which is that's pretty. And she's only been writing since 2010. That 20, or 2010 shocked or me. 2010.
0: I think and she, she said. is amazing. That's phenomenal. Um, so, but she said she reads a lot
2: and that does, that really influences your ability um, to be a great writer. So if you feel like, there's an inkling within yourself that you want to write, but you're like, you know, I've never written before. Hello, proof in the pudding. You can do it. Exactly. You're you know? so right.
0: I mean, how cool is that? Another thing I liked was the fact that she was talking about dark romance versus dangerous
2: romance. And yeah.
0: I kind of like the word dangerous better. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I thought I think that I was too. Yeah. It's
2: interesting that you would gravitate toward dangerous over dark, but I agree. It
0: fits. It does fit because, I mean, her characters, gosh knows, they go into a lot of precarious situations. But, you know, when I heard dark romance, I was thinking of, like, goth romance. Oh, really? Originally, I was thinking oh. of, like, Anne Rice, you know, Interview with a Vampire, that kind of thing. Okay. So, the word dark kind of threw me a little bit. Um, so, so, dangerous I,
2: like, is more... Dangerous. <laughs> living on the edge so. and um <laughs> what about that evil cat
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was too freaking funny oh my that's gosh that's hilarious uh, that was
2: gr- a great way to kind of top things off as <laughs> we were winding up is just finding out what is the deal with the evil cat what is um, up with evil cat so. and the sweet puppies? It's like it really
0: does sound like a, a children's book, right? It like does. the five sweet puppies and the evil cat. So <laughs> funny that that she
2: wants to be treated as a
0: tiger. There we go. Exactly. Once you realize she's a tiger, it's all she's good. all good. But you asked some great
2: questions. Well, if she is by far my favorite author, yeah, um, because I well, it did. There's no other author that I have read everything they've written. And so to be able to have her on the show, it's just so fascinating and so exciting. Yeah. So I, I'm just glad that she was excited to spend some time with us and she shared so many great nuggets. She
0: really did. She really was just very open and, and especially was talking about, you know, the book that was hard to write Yes. And talking about her confession about how she writes and I just thought that was really, really cool. She's very down to earth. So I have a is. big
2: fangirl crush now, too. Yes. She's amazing. And I think the one of the biggest things that I hope that our listeners will be, get from, from listening to this episode, which is by far probably one of my favorite episodes in even recording, because yes. I love Sky, is she really squashed a lot of myths and misnomers when it comes to writing. Mm -hmm. So if you have any excuses that are holding you back from moving forward, whether it's something like rapid release, whether it's building your your audience, I mean, listen to the things that she said in this interview. She is a highly successful writer. So take that to heart as you move forward in your own career. Well said. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks
0: so much for listening. Y'all have a good rest of your week.
1: Thanks for listening to the sociable scribes podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week to learn more amazing tips on writing and publishing. And if you like this podcast, please leave us a review and share it with a friend.